0: $250 billion, that's the amount of assets held by the five New York City pension funds for which the New York City controller is custodian, administrator, and investment advisor. But that's not the controller's only responsibility. The controller also audits city agencies, co-supervises the issuance of billions of dollars of debt, ensures the integrity of the contracting process, settles and pays claims against the city, and is a watchdog who makes recommendations to promote New York City's fiscal health. The city controller is important not only to the city's fiscal health, but also to governmental integrity and accountability and the broader well-being of New York. She or he is New Yorker's independent elected official who lifts the veil so the public can have the unbiased information with which to hold the city government accountable. Performing these functions well allows New Yorkers to determine if their money is being used wisely and having a real positive impact on their lives and New York as a whole. And now New York City is at a critical juncture. It's a time of great uncertainty, but also a time of great possibility. And a strong controller is especially crucial. Consider that the current mayor just proposed an executive budget that proposes a plan to use $15 billion in additional federal aid and billions more in state aid and tax revenue, but still leaves gaps of nearly $5 billion in each fiscal year, 2023, 24 and 25. So here we are, it's election season. The primary is just around the corner June 22nd and early voting starts in five and a half weeks on June 12th. We sat down last evening with six people who want to be New York City's next controller. Each spent 13 minutes telling us how they would use the powers of the office to benefit New York City and New Yorkers themselves. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizen
1: Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Andrew Ryan from the CBC. And as Andrew just said, CBC had a really interesting forum with six candidates for New York City Comptroller running in the Democratic primary that's fast approaching in June. Very interesting event, uh, similar to what Andrew and CBC did with mayoral candidates a little while back, and we chatted a bit um, for a podcast episode with just a brief introduction from us, and then you'll hear from the candidates momentarily. Uh, The six candidates who you'll hear from are... Brooklyn City Council member Brad Lander, military veteran and entrepreneur Zach Iskell, Manhattan State Senator Brian Benjamin, financial journalist Michelle Caruso-Cabrera, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, and Queens Assembly member David Weprin. Those six candidates appeared for a little bit with Andrew each time, peppered with questions uh, for a chance to talk about their resumes, their visions for being the next city controller, and uh, even a few or at least one fun little item at the end about their favorite uh, music or, or food and such. And you'll hear from all the candidates in just a few minutes. But um, Andrew, what were you hoping to get out of this forum, CBC bringing together these six leading candidates for the democratic nomination for city controller, which of course is the very likely person who wins that primary to be the next controller, given the city's very heavy democratic tilt. Um, what were you hoping to get out of this?
0: Well, We wanted to hear about first how they envision what the role of the controller is and what their priorities are, but really try to focus on how they would use the powers of the office to achieve those priorities. The controller is not necessarily what the public thinks of as the sexiest job in city government. Um, but it has incredible power and it's incredibly important. But often in election season, like including this one, you know, there's a lot more talk about the policy goals and the problems facing the city than the prescriptions of fixing it. And even to the extent those prescriptions are discussed, it's often discussed almost as an executive function. Well, we should cut the budget. We should you know, do this for the economy. We should help small business when the controller doesn't necessarily manage right. all those things. So right. what we try to do is, Drilled down into some of the specific proposals, and we did hear about, you know, publicly monitoring the use of federal aid, as I mentioned in the opening, $15 billion of federal aid. We heard some various pension investment and management strategies. You know, many of the the candidates want to invest in affordable housing or economically targeted investments in New York. But, But quite frankly, you know, the biggest impact is if you get good returns, you don't have to spend as much from the city budget and you can spend more on programs. So we heard a little about that. We heard about, you know, a database integrating audits, claims, and settlements, and trying to use the various functions of the controller together to have maybe the sum be, uh, the whole be greater than the sum of its parts. And we heard about an interesting idea about controller borough officers, a five borough mm-hmm. controller. So we did hear some of the specifics.
1: You know, I mean, it strikes me covering this election. I've inter- I've interviewed these candidates uh, and some others who, who will be on the ballot listening to your forum, you know, there there's a real interesting diversity of candidates here. They have different resumes. They have different visions for the office. You know, the, the responsibilities of the office are fairly prescribed, so they can't really stray too much from those core responsibilities, but they do have different priorities within those responsibilities. They have different visions for how they'd execute some of those responsibilities. Um, and so, you know, I mean, again, it was it was fascinating to hear their their different approaches and their different answers to, to some of your questions, including about you know pension management strategies. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot the the controller can do in terms of auditing city agencies and oversight of the budget. Um, you know, before we get into sort of any more takeaways of what you heard, I, you know, I think one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is sort of if if someone's really doing this job well, right? This gets to your point about the, you know, really executing the functions of this office, you know, someone's doing, being a a really strong New York City controller, what does that actually look like, you know? And, and, you know, to me, I've already said some of it, but it's, you know, it's this idea of being a really strong check on city budgeting. You don't get to negotiate the budget with the mayor and the city council, but you get to really influence it through analysis, through the bully pulpit, uh, again, through reports and audits, That's one of the most important functions of the office, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But what about for you? I mean, when you think of someone really doing this job well, what do you think about?
0: No, I I think um, you're exactly right in terms of that bully pulpit and using that watchdog function, but then using those audit functions to identify where there's, you know, waste, fraud, and abuse, but also every controller wants to do more programmatic audits and think about policy. You can. You know do that using the audit function using your government you know your fiscal watchdog function bringing those together i mean the current controller um has a agency watch list
2: hmm. where
0: he has identified the fact that you know um detained individuals you know those those you know rikers that population has declined but the spending hasn't declined in fact that you know there are more guards and the per um per prisoner um cost is has, has doubled and homeless services, you know, spending on homeless services has, has, you know, gone over $3 billion, yet we don't seem to be making a dent in the problem, and it's gotten worse. Of course, the, the question for controllers, can you go even further than pointing out the problems and identifying specific solutions? And I, so I think it's, you know, potentially powerful. I will say every controller, many controllers want to run for another office eventually. That's a given in political life. Um, sure. Historically, it's been generally the practice that even with those ambitions for most of their job, you know, controllers focus on being a good controller. And that's really heartening. And I hope that happens in the future. Now it's interesting.
1: Doing it well can help you, right? It can help you run for mayor if that's what you want to do. I mean, you have to not overly politicize the office and we've seen some questions around that in the past, but if you do the job well, then yeah, it it can help you just like any job. I mean, that's, that's, some of our, our current candidates, of course, are, are current office holders who think, you know, the work they've done in their current office is helping them make their pitch for this higher office.
0: Yes. No, I mean, it's interesting. Um, and we'll see if, if politics, because the politics of New York always evolve and we're in a certain, you know, era of, you know, um, progressive, expansive government politics, whether it be at the federal level or, you know, at, at the local le- level here, we have two, you know, two, you um, City council uh, members running proud progressives. We have two state office holders and two outsiders. The outsiders were not, not surprisingly, a little more aggressive last night, talking about you know the problems of the public sector. Um, you know, with the state office holders in the middle, and, and then and the progressives who've, who've worked on these budgets in the last few years, as the economy has been growing more on the you know um, side of, of pushing that angle forward. It'll be interesting to see how someone works with the next mayor or is a counterweight to the next mayor, depending where the politics are of the day and how they've used the functions of the office.
1: Right. And and you know you got at something really important earlier, which is if the next controller can uh use better strategies, better management to increase the returns on the the pension funds, of course working with the you know the boards and the other powers that be on those funds. This is not a you know, uh, an autonomous thing, um, that can, that can save billions of dollars from the city's operating budget every year, which the CBC crowd of course knows well, but a lot of people, you know, throughout the public don't necessarily, don't necessarily know that. And it's, it's a really key function. And then there's also obviously the problems with the city's contracting, uh, processes, payments, all these issues around, you know, contracts with human services, nonprofits and, and others, whether it's, it's holding up. know those nonprofits in certain ways and causing problems, or it's over contracting with you know other entities that we should be taking you know a much closer look at that. And some of the candidates are talking about that, so there's a lot on the contracting front that could be looked at. But you know one of the interesting themes of this of this discussion, and of course any election for controller, is this question of sort of who is who is saying the things that appeal to you about running the office well and executing its powers, and then also sort of who do you trust to really follow through on that. And, you know, controllers put out these audits and reports all the time with the recommendations that you're talking about, but are those just sort of pieces of paper that are one press conference and then they kind of vanish or can the next controller, you know, use the bully pulpit, use political skills, use coalition building to, to further, you know, some of those improvements to city government that are sometimes identified in those, in those plans.
0: And, and, and sometimes it's a quiet game that's the most effective, and maybe that doesn't help you for higher office, but I've talked to former controllers, and frankly, I've you know, been chief operating officer of a city agency, and there's a question of before the audit comes out when the controller comes to the commissioner and says, you know, this is going to look bad. If you start working on this now, you're going to look a lot better. I'm going to give you the heads up. And then after, the controller does follow-up audits. You know, are these just relegated to technical staff to say, did you fix the six widgets that we identified or do you raise the heat on that and and make that you know part of a more core activity and a public activity of the controller and there's there's a lot the controller can do because sometimes the work of improvement in government is you know nose to the grindstone you know maybe it's not the most sexy and fun but it's what you can do to both provide quality services and save the money doing it
1: all right well let's let the people hear from the candidates. Uh, you did uh, just similar to, as I said, with the, some of the mayoral candidates you had in a little while back, you had the controller candidates that you invited in to chat with you one at a time uh, for quick, but very substantive and detailed conversations. So let's let, uh, let's let folks go to that. I will mention, uh, you know you had your criteria for inviting these six leading candidates. There are a few other folks that will be on the ballot including uh, Reshma Patel, Terry Lifton, and State Senator Kevin Parker, and, and a couple others still uh, who are even lower profile than those folks. Um, so there's, there's a bevy of choices here in the Democratic primary for folks who will be voting in June. But here's, here's Andrew's conversations with uh, the six leading candidates that CBC
0: invited. Rod, right, welcome. Thanks for being here.
3: Thanks so much, Andrew. I'm a longtime fan of the CBC, a regular listener to What's the Data Point, and really excited to dig into the details today with you. Well,
0: yes, we look forward to delving into how you'll use the powers of the office to serve the people of New York. First, I'll ask a general question for three minutes, and then we'll have eight minutes to do a little Q&A, and then a two-minute, very exciting, lightning round. We'll hear a little beep to keep us moving to the next segment, if that's okay. Are you ready to dive in?
3: Sounds great, absolutely.
0: Fantastic. So could you please succinctly describe the role of controller, your top three priorities, and how would you use the powers of the office to achieve them?
3: Absolutely. Thank you again for the invitation. So the job of the controller is to take the long-term view on the city, to make sure we're spending wisely, that we invest in ways that stimulate recovery, to hold the city accountable to our shared goals, and to prepare better for future crises. The is set to receive $6 billion in direct federal aid, nearly $7 billion more for our public schools, and over $1 billion more through 100% FEMA reimbursement. And together with hiring attrition, that means our budget is balanced for the coming fiscal year. But as you've pointed out, projected gaps of $4 billion remain after that, more like $5 billion if the labor savings aren't realized. So we need to make sure that this one-time influx of funds is used smartly, while not creating recurring obligations we can't afford, That's why I wrote an op-ed in the Daily News this week to establish an American Rescue Plan spending tracker, similar to the Sandy recovery tracker the Bloomberg administration set up, to provide clear goals, track spending, and measure progress. And I'll be introducing a bill in the coming days to make that happen. Uh, Three priorities I want to highlight here are first, as I've said, serving as a budget watchdog to ensure thoughtful spending of that ARP money to reopen our schools and businesses safely, to build a platform for better shared economic growth in ways that make good use of one-time funding, but don't create new longer term obligations that we can't afford down the road. Second, and this is an issue I'm proud to have done a lot of work on with the CBC, is to reform capital projects management, to save money and prepare for the future through better infrastructure investment, using the capital projects database that's mandated by legislation i passed last year i'll be a watchdog on our infrastructure projects bringing transparency to the eight to ten billion dollars in capital spending every year right now more than half of that is over budget or, or behind schedule and i'll push for reforms that can save hundreds of millions of dollars every year and get better infrastructure created on time and third I wanna focus on getting New York City more ready for future crises than we were for this one. So I'll conduct a catastrophic risk assessment early on in my term of future risks facing the city and how we can prepare for them, focus on the climate crisis, our gravest long-term risk as pension fiduciary, budget watchdog, and chief accountability officer, and work for long-term budget balance with a more thoughtful approach to pegs and attrition and fund that rainy day fund so we'll be more prepared for future fiscal crises down the road.
0: Well, thank, thank you, uh, Brad, um, very much for that. Let's just, on the biggest picture, you're a proud progressive, a founder of the Progressive Caucus. You're talking here about fiscal responsibility. What do you say to those who are looking for a counterweight for the mayor, but look at your record uh, of, of supporting expansive government?
3: Absolutely. Look, I, I'm a proud progressive. I want bold government action to help us recover from this crisis. We've needed it in this crisis, and we're going to need it to recover from this crisis, to build a platform for shared economic growth. And I also know we want to build a more just, a more equal, and a more sustainable city. We've seen racial, economic, neighborhood, gender inequality painfully in this crisis, and we've got to build something different. But look, Government has to work better to be able to deliver on any of those promises. So progressives who care about making government work in big, bold ways should be the first ones to show up, to tell the truth about the budget, to audit the agencies carefully, to insist the government lives up to its promises. I mean, your forum is titled accountability, not just accounting. And to me, accountability to those shared values of more equal thriving within our means, um, that's how I see the job. So to me, not only is there not a contradiction, it's an obligation of progressives to care about the budget, to care about the details, to get in there and really understand how we make government work better. I've worked hard at that in the city council, passing a lot of bills that have dug in on systems like that capital projects tracker, like the American rescue plan tracker. Um, and that's what I'll do as controller.
0: So before we get back to audits, which I'm very interested in, um, you, you mentioned that this $5 billion budget gap as I did. Um, How would you use the powers of the office? What kind of recommendations? You've been sitting in the council for a long time, looking over the budget, been part of the negotiating committee at times. Where do we find those savings? And what as controller do you do to use both the tools of your office and your bully pulpit to get those ideas um, implemented?
3: Yeah, let me give a couple quick examples. So first, um, right now, the way we do the PEG program, the citywide savings program, uh, city commissioners don't get any credit or fault if the things they propose reduce headcount, which saves us money in health benefits and pension costs. They only get the direct savings. We want a program that actually incentivizes uh, the long-term savings as well. So I'd like to see the fusion of our PEG program with a more focused attrition program. So uh, commissioners have uh, a responsibility to identify what programs they would phase out through attrition or reduce through attrition. So they might want to increase something new or in in dangerous, you know, in years where we've got to confront a fiscal crisis, reduce the budget. I think that could save, you know, we've seen headcount come down as a result of attrition. And we could save more over time if we shift to that model of pegs with a focused attrition
0: program. As a controller, what do you do?
3: yeah, well, you identify what the cost would be. you you look at the pay program and you say, this agency's proposing headcount reduction, that would actually save us this much more through OPEB and pension and uh, long-term costs. And this cost wouldn't. On this year's executive budget, it needs to be broken out. What are the one-term sources and the the one-time sources and the one-time uses? And what are the recurring sources and the recurring uses? So break down the budget so it's really transparent so that the council and the mayor can make good choices. Identify other areas for savings. I want to see property tax reform and an end to the 421A. Program, which is $1.7 billion we're going to spend next year. Um, we're not going to get a single unit affordable enough to get a homeless New Yorker off the streets. So it's a tell the truth, it's a bully pulpit, it's a break the budget down, and then work together with folks like you and other advocates who are pushing for change.
0: Thank you. Now let's switch to audits. You know, audits. It's a, it's a definition. I have this nice 2018 governmental accounting auditing standards. You, you should, I, I highly recommend the reading as I was brushing up. Audits have specific objectives and are designed to find deficiencies against predetermined sets of indicators, process, output, outcome. You've talked about equity, sustainability, environmental justice, other types of audits. Can you drill down a little more? What, give us an example of the objectives or, and a criteria for an equity or a sustainability audit. What does that really look like?
3: Super. I mean, let me make clear, first and foremost, you got to do the waste, fraud and abuse audits and identify savings and spending. So one of the first I want to do is the Department of Corrections, where we're uh, detaining a third as many people, pre-trial as we were a decade ago, but spending twice as much, $447,000 a year per detainee. So like that's an area that I'm going to dig in and audit and propose how we save money. You know, that's got to be a real willingness to look at the labor costs there, why we're still having so many people for so many fewer detainees. But I'll give you an example of a kind of audit that I think would be against specific measurable objectives, but we could make real difference. And that's um, uh, our agencies have responsibility for language access to provide services to people in the languages that those folks speak, as well as access for people with disabilities in, you know, to the sites that the city provides a- an accessibility audit that would help make a more equitable city would first, you know, crowdsource and say, where are their gaps and shortcomings? And then you go to those agencies and say, look, we've heard that you've got a lot of Bangladeshi clients, you know, Administration for Children's Services or wherever it is, but you're falling short. We're actually going to come audit you in six or nine months. We'd actually like you to put those services in place by then. Our goal is not a gotcha audit. Our goal is to win change that actually makes government work better. I've put out the most detailed plan of any controller candidate not just for what audits I'll do, but for how I'll make those audits strategic so they actually win change. Because even if they follow every one of the guidelines in the government accounting manual you just hold up, but they just sit on a shelf and nobody implements the changes, then really what good are they? So I've got a plan not only to do the audits, but to make sure the audits are strategic and win real change.
0: thank, Thank you very much. Let's move on to pension. Um, City pension contribution is going to be $10.3 billion next year, which is a billion more than it was five years prior prior to that. What is your investment strategy so that future growth doesn't start eating up our operating budget?
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, you have to fund them adequately. So that's step one. Um, And obviously the actuary makes a decision about what the target rate will be. And the actuary has proposed to reduce it from 7% to 6.8%. Although at the moment, it doesn't look like the pension funds are going to vote to adopt that recommendation. I think it would actually probably be smart to adopt that recommendation. That would require paying in a little more annually, but being able to be prudent with those investments, one problem if you've got a high uh, hurdle rate to hit is you're more tempted to take risks, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you can get into trouble there. I will say, I do think that the portfolio is broadly invested in a sensible range of places, um, in equity, in fixed income. Um, you know, there's a set of alternative investments that I think really are worth looking at because you have to net those fees to make sure they're returning what we need. Um, But broadly, during the last eight years, which have been good ones on on Wall Street, obviously, um, the portfolio has done well. um, And as a pension fiduciary, that's your responsibility. It's not your money. You know, fiduciary means it's not the controller's money. It's not the city's money. That money belongs to the workers who earned it. You got to make sure it is there for them when they retire.
0: We need to move on to the lightning round. But very quickly, you've talked about economically targeted investments. How low is too low a return to make it worth it to um, increase the operating budget hit?
3: Well, those need to be market returns, but they can be invested in New York City projects, whether that's rooftop solar or affordable housing. Um, those are market returns, but they're in places in the market where credit can help do something in New York City that's not happening.
0: Fantastic. So Now, if we could move to our lightning round. See, it's like speed dating. Right? Love it. Move to lightning round, yes or no, please, except where specified. Um, Do you support requiring mandatory deposits into a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting withdrawals only to times of recessions or severe emergency?
3: Yes, absolutely. I tried to introduce a bill to do it, but uh, we're preempted by that state legislation. But yes, I do. Absolutely.
0: Um, Should the city significantly increase the size of its retiree health benefits trust to address the outstanding $109 billion OPEB, other post-employment benefit liability?
3: Yes, we need the real rainy day fund and then a separate retiree health benefits trust fund.
0: Is there any circumstances that should require the New York State Financial Control Board be empowered to approve city fiscal actions?
3: I think we can handle our spending on our own. We need to do it with fiduciary attention, but yeah, I I don't, I guess no is the answer to
0: that. On a scale of one being not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting principles? Four. Four. What is your single most important qualification ensuring you will be a great controller?
3: I dig in on the details to make government work better. That's what I've done in the council. I organize together with people, find what's broken, bring the data to it and make strategic action to change it so government serves everybody and works better. Do you
0: have a fiscal or public accountability hero?
3: A fiscal or public accountability hero? What a great question. My, my favorite controller is uh, Andrew Haswell Green, who was the controller that led the way to the consolidation of New York City which some in Brooklyn still call the great mistake, but I think led the way to our city's future thriving. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with him.
0: And our last, um, please choose a topic, New York City music, food, or sports. Uh, I'm going to go with food. Food, what's your favorite New York street food? Hot dogs, street meat, falafel, halal guys, nuts for nuts, empanadas, or tacos? Oh, empanadas. Empanadas it is. Well, thank you very much, Brad. We really appreciate you spending the time with us.
3: This was great, Andrew. Thank you so, so much.
0: Please stay tuned for uh, Zach Iskall,
4: our next candidate.
0: For
3: Andrew, Iskall. how are you? It's
4: Thanks. You. It's
0: great. Thanks. I'm doing great. Hopefully you are too. Thanks for being here.
4: I would not miss this. I was very excited for this one.
0: I look forward to delving into how you're going to use the office. First, we'll spend three minutes with an overview, and I'll prompt Then eight minutes Q&A and a two minute lightning round. We'll hear a little beep that'll prompt us to move along to keep us on time. Does that
4: make sense? You ready to dive in? I'm ready to dive in. I am ready to dive in. Let's get going.
0: Okay. So please succinctly describe the role of controller, your top three priorities and how you will use the power of the office to achieve them.
4: Yeah. So I think that there's, there's a number of roles that fall under the office of the comptroller Uh, meeting our promise to pensioners uh, through uh, as being the fiduciary of the city's pension funds of settling claims against the city of setting prevailing wage, of helping finance city projects through the sale of city debt. And I think most importantly, serving as the chief accountability officer for the city. There is a reason that this is not an office that works for the mayor. I think a lot of people often talk about the comptroller as the chief financial officer for the city. I actually don't see it that way. I think of the chief financial officer as the finance commissioner who works for the mayor. Um, I think that this role really more than anything else is the chief accountability officer of the city the person whose job it is, is to make sure the city is doing its job. And that's why it's an independently elected office who works for the people of the city, as opposed to the mayor. Um, In terms of my priorities, uh, there are many, Um, (laughs) sort of the opposite of the definition of a priority, but I think in this day and age, uh, there are a lot. Uh, Number one, is we've got to bring the economy back. If the economy is not working, nothing is working in this town. And I think there's a lot of creative ways that we can use the office of the comptroller uh, to help invest in New York City, bring jobs back, have a uh, environment that is friendlier to businesses um, and to also address some of the deep structural issues the city is facing with its finances over the next few years due to the lack, the poor leadership over the uh, previous administration. Um, But if I was just gonna give you three sort of primary focuses, um, beyond, uh, um, uh, beyond that, I would say accountability is huge. Um, it is something that is completely missing from city government. Uh, uh, wh- and, and part of that is also setting benchmarks. And I think that when we talk about audits, we often look for, you know, where, where can we find savings? Well, Stringer found very few savings. And one of the reasons for that is we're not creating benchmarks. We're not tying spending to outcomes. As somebody who has run a nonprofit where I knew 85 cents of every dollar was going to a specific outcome, where I knew the 11 quality of life measurements that we had to get in order to make sure that we were achieving certain outcomes, making sure city spending is tied to outcomes will be a huge priority, especially in the approval of city contracts. Um, So accountability through benchmarks, structural fiscal deficiencies, and bringing jobs back and and getting the economy going in the city.
0: So let's start on the big picture on structural uh, fiscal deficiencies. As you said, what is your assessment of the long-run fiscal health? What would you do in your office to help improve the city's structural budget balance?
4: Yeah. So um, you're not going to like my answer, Um, but we got to start now. You know, one of the things, one of the big... Concerns I have when you look at the mayor's executive budget that he released a week ago is it will lead to about a 15 billion dollar deficit over the first three years of the next mayoralty, And that is assuming that we find a billion dollars in labor labor savings that are undisclosed. That assumes that real estate taxes remain stable. That assumes that income taxes remain stable. Um, And so one of the things I'm worried about is if we don't get you know, that assumes that we get 400000 people back to work. Um, if those things don't happen over the next couple of years, it could be much more severe than a $15 billion deficit. And we know that there's not a whole lot of, of spending that can be cut uh, that's not obligatory spending. And so we have to start now. We can't start early enough to find those savings, find if those. If controller
0: today, what would you be doing?
4: Um, I would be looking for healthcare savings. I would be looking for labor savings. Um, I would be making investments in the labor force. I think this is one thing that people get wrong. Um, we think of, cu- of labor savings as meaning that you're going to be cutting the workforce. I actually think that when you make cuts, when you uh, don't pay people market rates, you actually lead to greater, you're not investing in the workforce. You know, we've seen over the last few years, um, a, especially even even before De Blase, we've seen a huge reliance on outside consultants, outside contractors. We've seen how this has cost the city with IT projects, for example, that's because we're not making the investments in the city's workforce. That then creates um, additional cost burdens. So labor savings, uh, healthcare costs, the debt. How is it uh, during you know one of the greatest times of economic growth in the city of New York, we've added uh, you know our debt service by uh, by over a That's third. Important. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's different
0: different functions, You know, you've called for benchmarking and performance measurement. You know, audits are about, you know, having objectives and and finding deficiencies against a set of benchmarks and criteria. Can you give us an example of how you would do that? Um, Specifically, you know, give us a service, what your objective is and and, and what kind of benchmarks you'd use and what the audit would find if it did.
4: Yeah, I'll give you two right off the bat really quickly. So, number one is let's look at uh, sanitation. We could look at homelessness too. We pay four times more to have our trash picked up in New York City than any other place in the world. Why is that? Right. We can look at places around the world where they've created new innovative ways of removing trash. It's not just because we don't have back alleys where we can, you know, get our trash where we don't have to leave our trash on the on the streets. So creating benchmarks is partly about looking around the world, looking around the country, looking at other municipalities and seeing how other places are solving these problems seeing how much they are spending, seeing what solutions they're bringing to bear. We don't have to always reinvent the wheel here at home. And that can then create a benchmark to understand how we could be doing things better to make our city government more competitive with other municipalities. Another one is homelessness. There are, I think, 55 cities around the United States that have ended veterans homelessness. You know, As a veteran, I served in the Marine Corps. I led troops to some of the heaviest combat of the Iraq war. I came home, began to lose more Marines to suicide than I did in combat. This is an issue that's critically important to me, especially because I spent the last 10 years in mental health. Um, There are cities around the country that have ended not just veterans homelessness, but homelessness. We spend $3.2 billion a year on homelessness, and yet the problem's getting worse, not better. And so I think the question is, yep. So you've already
0: identified the benchmarks. The question is, how do you use the tools of the office? So you have an audit team. 170 people. What do you tell them to do now that, you know, we're spending, haven't ended veterans homelessness or spending more uh, on different services? What do you do with the
4: tools of your office with your yeah. team? For so example? one of the, one of the big powers that we don't talk enough about with the comptroller's office is approving city contracts. So let's say we're approving a contract for, you know, a, a, a nonprofit a Bronx shelter provider. You know, for example, maybe one recently profiled by the New York Times, but, um, and let's say that they have a $80 million a year contract uh, around housing homelessness. Um, When you then go in to actually review that contract, one of the things I want to look at is what are the outcomes? What are the performance metrics? You can take those benchmarks that are created from how other cities have solved this problem and made sure that our spending, that those city contracts are designed in a way that we are solutions oriented and not just paying for, for a, a business model that isn't helping anybody.
0: speaking of contracting, you've talked about having um, people who wanna contract with the city prepare a one-page memo on their commitment. Now, given that the charter doesn't provide the controller with the power to reject a contract based on their, someone's commitment to the city or the controller to require that page memo, what do you think the impact of that proposal would
4: be? I think it'll be significant, whether by in, whether in the spirit or letter of the law, I think it will be significant. And look, you know, I speak to business owners, uh, nonprofit executives uh, all over the city. They all want to be a part of the solution. They just need to be asked. Right. I mean, and I think a lot of us often forget that that businesses, nonprofits, uh, people that work outside of government have as much a stake in the city's future as any of us do. They want to be asked to be part of the solution. And I think that there's a way of saying like, this is mandatory. This is punitive. There's also a way of doing this in the spirit of cooperation and bringing to bear every resource we have to help solve some of these problems the city's facing. So
0: pensions, the city pension contribution is going to be $10.3 billion next year, up a billion dollars over what it had been five years prior to that. What's your investment strategy to minimize so that the pension future growth doesn't eat up the operating budget? Because you've talked about using some of the economically targeted investments for housing, community development,
4: social programs. Yeah.
0: What's your overall strategy?
4: Better management. So I think that there is there was a report that came out in 2015 the Funston report that identified about 240 different structural recommendations and management recommendations for the Bureau of Asset Management. Um, Scott Stringer has implemented about 18 of them. But I think if we actually implemented more of them, uh, paid, you know, folks in the Bureau of Asset Management, you know, tried to recruit market rate talent calendar- uh, moved more to a model more of akin of the Canadian model where we're making more investments directly from the, uh, from the city. Um, that alone, their estimates could lead to another 1% to 2% in gained returns because you're not getting killed by fees. You're not investing in funds and funds of funds where you're getting killed by fees. And um, that 1% to 2% on $250 billion over 10 years, not even counting compound growth, that's a lot of money. That's a significant amount of money. Um, Understood. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to move, if you if you don't mind, to our lightning round. Asking. For I hate answer. lightning rounds. I yes hate yes or no, or no questions, but we'll, we'll dive in. We'll see how we okay, do. Okay. The first one is, do you hate
0: lightning? No, no. I'm joking. Yes <laughs> or no, or, or, except we're specified. First, do you support requiring mandatory deposits through a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting withdrawals from that fund only to times of recessions
4: or severe emergency? Yes. And if I can add, a rainy day fund is not a rainy day fund if you're only putting pennies in it. It's got to be significant
0: should the city increase the size of its retiree health benefits trust fund to address the outstanding 109 billion dollar other post-employee benefit
4: liability i am yes i'm very concerned about it i think it is actually probably way underestimated how underfunded it is
0: is there any circumstance that should require the new york state financial control board to be empowered to approve city fiscal actions
4: are there any uh, can you repeat that are Are there there any
0: circumstances that should require that the new york state financial control board be empowered to approve city fiscal actions like it did after the fiscal crisis?
4: Uh, If I'm not elected comptroller, yes. (laughs) I mean, I joke, but I think if I think if you look at the state of the city's finances, yes, that's the path that we're probably on right now.
0: On a scale from one being not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting principles?
4: Give myself a four based on my 10 years of business uh, operations experience.
0: Thank you. What is your single most important qualification ensuring you will be a great controller?
4: I care about the outcomes.
0: And for our last question, please choose a topic. New York City music, food, or
4: sports? I'm going with food. food. Let's go gastro, Andrew. What,
0: what is your favorite New York street food? Hot dogs, street meat, falafel, halal guys, Nuts for nuts, empanadas, or tacos?
4: I'm going to go somewhere between halal because it brings back memories from deployments overseas. I also love tacos.
0: Okay, we'll give you two on that one. Thank you, Zach, for being with us
4: today. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be with you all. Sorry about the technical issues.
0: No problem. No problem. Thank you. And please all stay tuned for Brian Benjamin, who is up next. Fantastic. All right. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Well, that's Pleasure. a great picture, by the way. I have to compliment you. Thank you. Um, I snuck it in the side. <laughs> I, I, I I look forward to delving into how you plan to use the office and the powers of that office to serve the people of New York. I'm going to ask a general question first for the first few minutes. Then we'll have eight minutes of question and answer, and then a two-minute lightning round. Sure. Okay. Great.
5: Whatever you Ready want to, to do. to drive in. <laughs> okay. Ready to go. So,
0: so thank you. Please succinctly describe the role of controller, your top three priorities, and how you will use the powers of the office to achieve them.
5: Sure, thank you, Andrew. The Citizens Budget Commission, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts. Uh, The comptroller is a very important job. The comptroller is the chief accountability officer of the city, the chief fiscal officer of the city, and also the chief investment officer of the 250 billion plus pension assets that the comptroller is the fiduciary of. Uh, You know, there are a number of important uh, priorities that I think uh, need to uh, get the attention of the next comptroller, but let me talk about three since you asked for three. Number one, uh, the comptroller uh, in, my, in my estimation has to be completely focused on auditing uh, and investigating city agencies, particularly in a time like this. As we're looking to come out of COVID, we're looking at recover as a city, You know, two departments really come to mind as places that need a lot of attention. One is the NYPD that needs to be audited and as well as the DOE for performance-based audits because if those two agencies don't work for the city of New York particularly for those who are most underserved and marginalized the whole system doesn't work secondly the comptroller is responsible in my view for uh, the 250 billion dollar public pension fund five separate funds uh, over 700,000 retirees who rely on their on their pension retirements including my parents and you know the comptroller needs to not only provide those returns, which I believe I will, I have a background in this. I, after Brown and Harvard Business School, I spent a few years in Morgan Stanley where I did investment banking and private wealth management. I will uh, uh, say to you that no other candidate in this race has any investment management, investment allocation, manager selection experience besides myself. And we should be thinking about issues like affordable housing, affordable home ownership. How can we um, provide permanent supportive housing, particularly given the way the markets are looking and invest in? communities that have been underrepresented with uh, in, in, uh, in, with economically targeted investments. And then third, the comptroller's um, going to be responsible for taking care of the fiscal health and the general condition of the city, um, holding the mayor and the city accountable for all the spending. And I think, you know, as we have 15 billion plus dollars coming in from the federal government uh, for COVID-related issues, we need to make sure that that money is being spent in a way that's helping to drive the recovery. And we need to be concerned about is that money going towards recurring or non-recurring expenses? Uh, Because if we are putting that money towards expenses that recur, we're setting the city up for failure. So those are the kinds of things I think the control needs to do, hold the city accountable, and I I plan to do that.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh, Let's delve into those areas, maybe in reverse order on the fiscal health of the city. What is your assessment of, of the fiscal health of the city, the mayor's budget, and what as controller would you do to Improve this city's fiscal situation and specifically structural budget balance in the long run. What as controller should you do about that?
5: Well, I think a couple of things. First, uh, you know, uh, we, as you know, we've been downgraded to double A AA-, minus. Uh, and that has to do with just the outlook that COVID has has brought to the table. Uh, we are spending about $10,000 per, per capita. That's our debt level presently, not near. Uh, the statutory uh, requirements the state has set um, uh, after uh, the 70s. But clearly, if you think about the fact that uh, real estate values, which is what that 10% is based upon, real estate values are probably lower given what we have been seeing, less foot traffic, et cetera, that can put a lot more pressure on our debt. So in my view, I think the first order of business is to get a sense of what does is, what is real estate values look like in the city of New York, particularly downtown. I've been traveling. Uh, uh, you know, I did the Times Square Alliance, we did a tour of Chinatown, so less foot traffic. What is that gonna look like coming back out of COVID? I think we have to be very mindful of that, talking to the businesses to get a sense of what is the world gonna look like after COVID? And can we expect the MTA to have the level of, of activity that it needs in order to sustain the cost? Uh, we have to be mindful of those things. So in my view, I think the comptroller has a very important role of really trying to delve into the numbers uh, on this and advising the city and advising uh, the mayor and the city council as as what our true uh, debt positions are and the health of the city from a financial standpoint.
0: Thank you, thank you. Um, Let's switch back to pensions. As I promised you, we'd go in reverse order. Um, The city pension contribution is going to be $10.3 billion next year. That's a billion more than just five years prior to that. So what is your investment strategy so that the future growth doesn't eat up the operating budget?
5: Well, first of all, you know, I I serve on the board of trustees at Brown University. Uh, where our investment committee has been has been stellar. You know, we've had 10% returns year over year for the last 10 years, 12% for the last three. And it's really predicated upon two key concepts. Number one, having the chief investment officer who's really top of the line and really understands how to think about markets, not in this sort of dogmatic percentage-based structure, but more in terms of manager selection, in terms of how uh, markets are moving, contrary points of views. And so the first order of business would be to get uh, a really top flight chief investment officer who actually understands and has had the experience of managing this kind of portfolio, which will help us to attract the kind of talent um, to uh, to be in the Bureau of Asset Management. One of the biggest problems we have is the Bureau of Asset Management cannot afford to compete with the private sector. So you need to have a mindset that is really built around uh, sort of public service, giving back, but you get your best and brightest to step up and, and play an important role on that front. And so, so I think if can we I just do ask- that. Go ahead.
0: Can I just say, you know, Ontario teachers, I read 10 years ago paid their chief investment officer
5: $3.2 million as their compensation package. Are you talking about that or a different version? No, no, I'm talking about the version where how Brown is paying the chief, our chief investment officer $1 because he uh, graduated from Brown, did extraordinarily well in the private sector and wanted to give back. There are so many talented people who would want to give back if they're asked by the right people, given the right uh, portfolio and respects and and sort of the right mindset and the right structure, they will do it. Uh, You know, Everyone has experienced COVID. Some of us are doing so much better than than the rest of us. The key is to not villainize people, but to reach out to people and say, listen, this is your city. You have an enormous experience. You've done extremely well. New York City has been incredibly valuable to you. I need you to, to, to give back and play this important role. And when you have the right people at the top, Andrew, then they can help bring the other people down below. Because you're not gonna, we're not, we don't pay in the in the public sector the way they pay in the private sector. So the only way it works is if you have the best people. But the mindset is we're gonna uh, help our city return because there is a direct correlation between how poor the, the the pension funds return and how much that pension contribution continues to go up. Right, last year it was 4.4 percent. Uh, you know, 7% is the hurdle rate in a low stock in, I mean, in a low interest rate environment, we should be able to, to hit that number. Uh, the fact that we have it, um, speaks to a range of issues, but I do think we should get the best and the brightest and say, this is your time to get back. And is the way you can get back. We all have different ways to do it. I think there's a real opportunity for the investment class to play an important role in our recovery. And you've wanted to use more of the pension
0: funds for affordable housing. Without question. Of course, you know, people have talked about all sorts of different strategies on economically targeted investments. You've talked about that being this more part of the housing portfolio, but at a certain point you have to balance your um, rates of return or else you hit that operating budget. Is there, how do you make that balance? What is too low a rate of return, even if you're investing in something that is socially um, beneficial or economically beneficial
5: for certain New Yorkers? Well, the hurdle rate is 7%. So that is what the actuary requires. Uh, and so the, so for me, I, I cannot imagine any scenario, I mean, I used to, I used to do affordable housing, I understand the investment, I understand the investment, I used to actually finance, uh, and do the business models for them. You know, there are, you know, any, any decent affordable housing project in New York City can definitely return you low teens. As long as you, uh, you know, you, you kind of move in a, in a, in a reasonable timeframe and you're not sort of, you're not sort of, look uh, behind in your timing, but, you know, affordable housing is such a huge need. Over People in New York City need affordable housing, that's a way for you to A, solve a public need, and B, provide the, the rate of returns that you, that the uh, actuary requires for the pension funds. I think it's a no-brainer, and I, and I would love to even expand that and look at, um, you know, possibly how you look at affordable home ownership, because that is a, a huge need, and there's ways to finance those things that make sense, uh, particularly in a time like this. You know, the hotels are really struggling, uh, you know, permanent supportive housing is a real issue. We have, you know, a homelessness crisis. Uh, we can merge the two, uh, uh, have RFPs, buy hotels, uh, work with good permanent supportive housing operators and, 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 you know, give people permanent spaces as opposed to this shuffling around the city um, uh, at expenses to them and to those who they move uh, nearby. Uh, as you know, and it hits both sides,
0: the operating budget in terms of sometimes subsidies for the operating side, so it, it is combined. Before, yeah. um, before we get to, let's go to the audits for a second. You talked about sure. performance-based audits, NYPD, VOE audits. Of course, you have an audit objective. You have a set of criteria. You're looking for deficiencies. Can you help us drill down what specifically is a specific set of criteria that you would audit the NYPD against and mm-hmm. what looking for to identify
5: and how to get that implemented? Sure. Two things. One is, you know, we absolutely must focus on public safety, broadly defined. Public safety is law enforcement plus other factors. But within the the, the issue of law enforcement, my view is what exactly are they spending on and how is that specifically keeping us safe, right? So as you look at the needs of the NYPD, different locations have different needs. So for example, I would imagine the precincts that cover central Harlem should look different than the precincts that cover the upper west side of Park Slope. Just because of the nature of the situation, how public, what public safety is um, uh, looks like in those in those in those areas should have different focuses. Like in my district, mental health is a big issue. So, uh, how does that look? I mean, you can't just send uh, some 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 guys with a with a baton and a, and 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 a, and, a, and a gun. You you'll have to have some mental health components to that as well. So for me, it's more about how are we making sure that every single dollar we spend is most efficiently keeping us safe. And I think that there is, if you, if you really dig into the budget, you'll find, you'll find that there's a, there's a lot there that should probably be, be someplace else. Okay, thank you. We're
0: gonna to move to our lightning round. Yes or no, please, except where I asked for a slightly different answer, okay? Sure. Ready to roll. I'm with you, do, Andrew. Do you support requiring mandatory deposits into a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting withdrawals only to times of recessions or severe emergency?
5: Being that that was the bill that I carried uh, in the Senate and wanted, I absolutely uh, do. Obviously, we <laughs> to get it passed, we had to make some, uh, how well, do you say? The, the <laughs> city we, had still, to, <laughs> we had to do just, some compromises. The city can I, still
0: pass legislation, I understand. Um, we'll talk yeah, about that, later. that
5: Can I just say real quick? You know, the, the, the biggest problem is, is that the city will say to you, the reason why they can't um, do what we wanted is because the governor will then, if we have a real rainy day fund, he will then divert, bring less money to the city. And so anyway, we can talk about that longer later. Longer conversation.
0: Should the city yeah. significantly increase the t- size of its Retiree Health Benefits Trust to address outs- the outstanding $109 billion other post-employment benefit liability? Yes. Is there any circumstance that should require the New York State Financial Control Board to be empowered to approve city fiscal actions?
5: Yes. When the debt uh, when the debt of the city gets close to the uh, statutory requirement of 10% of the, um, of the real estate value, uh, property values, absolutely. On a scale
0: from one being not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting
5: principles? Yeah. When I was at Harvard Business School at five, now i probably say I'm somewhere between a three and a four. And for the last topic you
0: get to choose,
5: New York <laughs> City music, food, or sports?
0: Music. Music, what is your favorite 1970s New York City music genre, disco, punk, or hip-hop? Disco. Okay, thank you very much, Brian Benjamin. We appreciate thank you. it. Um, everyone, please stay tuned for our next candidate, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Thanks, Brian. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to delving into how you plan to use the powers of the office to serve the people of New York. I'll first ask an opening question. We'll have a few minutes to discuss the big picture, then an eight minutes Q and A, and a two minute very exciting lightning round. Is that okay? Good? Yeah. Okay. Let's dig in. Could you please first succinctly describe the role of controller, your top three priorities, and how you will use the powers of the office to achieve
6: them? Thank you so much, Andrew. Yes, I will do that. And it's a pleasure to speak with all of you and members of the Citizens Budget Commission about my campaign to be the next controller of New York City, my top priorities, and how I intend to achieve them as the city's top financial officer. For those of you who don't know me, I know Andrew's introduced me, but my name is Michelle Caruso Cabrera. I know it's long. I'm the daughter and the granddaughter of immigrants. I am the only woman polling near the top in the polls. I'm the only Latina in the race. And as you're gonna hear over the next few minutes, I'm the only candidate who has the experience that's needed right now to be New York City's top financial officer and watchdog and lead an economic comeback that leaves no one behind for this very critical moment for the city. Before entering politics, I was a journalist. I began my career 30 years ago at Univision, and then I spent more than 20 years at CNBC, where I was an anchor and the chief international correspondent. And as a journalist, I reported on financial crises all over the world. Cuba, Iran, Ukraine, Iraq, Italy, Greece, Russia, Venezuela. Those are, of course, all very different places. But in each, it was always the same. Marginalized and underserved communities always paid a disproportionate price when disaster struck. I tell you all of this because I am very aware of the repeated mistakes which come up over and over again in both the management of economic crises and the subsequent recoveries that could often have been better. And as a journalist, I saw over and over again that those who can least afford to pay, they always end up paying the most. And I'm very worried that without the right kind of leadership in this city, we could easily go down the same path. I'm constantly telling people, yeah, the city is resilient, it'll bounce back, but how long will it take? How equitable is the comeback? How much damage we have to undo is going to depend on the action we take over the next two years. Now, let me answer your question specifically. The controller is the city's top financial officer and watchdog. It's the job of the controller to follow the money, use the power of the audit, the power of oversight to hold the mayor, the city council, and the city agencies accountable. My priority as controller is going to be used to use the powers and the responsibilities of the office to look at every dollar we are spending much as i did as a journalist ensure we are extracting the maximum possible value out of every penny of spending bring people jobs and investment back to new york city and lead a truly equitable recovery for new york city that leaves no one behind you guys know this already the budget's gone up By $20 billion per year, $72 billion to $92 billion in the past year, and now a $98 billion budget. And all New Yorkers that I talk to, every single one of them, struggle, even before COVID, to identify $20 billion worth of improvements in their daily lives in the city or in the quality of the services that they can do. So what can the controller do? The job high-quality forensic audits that are going to yield an enormous amount of information about this major disconnect between what we spend and the lack of return, and make sure we can invest wisely in our communities and emerge from this crisis. I know how to use income statements, balance sheets, and cash flows to be both tools, and in the right hands, they can be weapons. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So let's big picture and then drill down to some of those tools. But as you say, you're the one, as you said, you have the experience in, in following the money. Obviously, journalists and controllers have various tools and techniques for uncovering and reporting on issues and then getting those findings used and implemented in a policy. Can you tell us specifically what's similar about those tools and techniques and implementation strategies for being a journalist? And what's different, quite frankly, when you're a controller?
6: So when I was a financial journalist, I was looking at income statements, balance sheets and all the time uh, and cash flow statements when I was interviewing CEOs uh, and looking at the equivalent. I know it's not the same for countries, but when I was interviewing presidents and prime ministers about the spending, the spending priorities and what went wrong and what went right, you should also know that I was on the board of a financial institution and on the audit committee. Um, Now, what is different is that with a controller, you know, you have the power to do forensic audits, performance audits, standard audits. Um, And as controller as well, you have the bully pulpit. And one thing that has often happened with this position is it's often held by someone who actually really wants to be the mayor. That's why they're running or that's why they ran. And so every decision they make is actually done through their personal political lens and what's good for their future rather than what is better for the city of New York and for New Yorkers so i am about actually doing the job i'm not interested in being the mayor i've called on all the other candidates to take a pledge that they're not going to run for mayor i just want to really do the job because i know how important it is this moment in time that new york city has a turnaround the population of new york in 1990 was smaller than it was in 1940 and that is because of the 70s and if we don't get this election right we could go back there again. There is so much at stake.
0: Thank you, thank you. Let's drill down a little uh, on those audits. You talk about performance audits, forensic audits. Audits are obviously, you have an audit objective. You have a team, the controller yeah. 170 auditors. You have an objective mm-hmm. for the audit. You have a set of criteria. You find deficiencies against that. Can you drill down, What are you, give us a couple of examples of agencies and specific audits, and what would be your objective and the criteria so we can understand more how you use those tools?
6: Yeah, health and hospitals, first up, one of the first two, I think. Um, Third one be Department of Education. So I live in Queens at the height of the pandemic. I could see hundreds and hundreds of people in line in front of Elmhurst Hospital. And I went back and looked at our spending on what was happening with health and hospitals. And just as we've seen a huge increase in spending in the overall budget in the city, we've also seen a more than 400% increase in health and hospitals. And yet our outcomes at Elmhurst were terrible. And that's not for lack of of very hard work by the doctors and the nurses there. We know that based on what I've read in the papers and all the interviews that I've seen. But clearly, there are tremendous inefficiencies there that lead to the most vulnerable people in our city suffering the most. Let me go back to my original point, what I see over and over again in crises. Those who can least afford to pay always end up paying the most. And that's what I saw at Elmhurst Hospital. I'd also take a look at the NYPD. I want to audit them as well. I saw in the paper in the last 24 hours that they actually haven't done a real audit, a full audit in years. I knew that because I went digging for it. As a journalist, that's what I do. So what does the NYPD spend their money on? I wanna know because it's very controversial right now, right? I've seen a couple of performance audits. I wanna look at the whole gamut. What would I look at there? I wanna see, are we spending too much money on over-policing? I can tell you having spent time in our black and brown communities, they are very concerned about over-policing. It leads to rising levels of tension. Should we be spending more? Go ahead. I just drill into how do you determine? So you have a team of auditors. How do they determine if it's over-policing or not over-policing? Well, first of all, you just have to get the data and find out, okay, what have we spent money on? Where has it really gone? Because a budget is one thing, but an audit is another. What in your line by line? What did this? Okay, we have a line item that is spent on this. What did it actually accomplish? Where did it go? That's how you do it. And and it's my understanding that for a very long time, we haven't done those kind of line by line analysis of whether or not we are getting what we need, the outcomes that we deserve and we should demand as New Yorkers for the dollars and the taxpayer dollars that are being spent by the city council.
0: Understood. Understood. Thank you. Let's move from um, from the um, audits to another very important responsibility: um, management and oversight. Uh, um, pension five pension funds, two hundred fifty billion dollars. You know, what is your would be your strategy for investment? Because that right now our city's contribution, as you've said, costs have gone up ten point three billion next year, up a billion dollars from five years prior what is your investment strategy so that the future growth doesn't squeeze out operating budget priorities
6: yeah so it's been enormously difficult to run a pension fund as you can imagine for it's gotten harder and harder over the last 30 years because you know when i was at cnbc for years every investment person would say whatever you do don't buy the long end of the curve and you know it was the one thing you probably should have done for the last 30 years was by the long end of the curve because what's happened, interest rates have gone down and down and down. They even went negative. That's made it incredibly difficult for pension funds because, of course, they have a certain number of retirees retiring in a certain year. Historically, they'd like to use fixed income because they know exactly what they're going to get when those bonds or whatever those instruments are when they they term out. And Yet, they've been forced to go into, instead, hedge funds Private equity, things that are far more illiquid. So I probably a barbell strategy at this point until we see a rise in interest rates. I'm very concerned right now about whether or not we are at a turning point in inflation. I hear that from Larry Summers, I hear that from Steve Ratner. Uh, I'm worried about that. So we are at a crucial point. I, I'm not sure that working on an endowment method is exactly what we're going to want to do because. You know, universities have very, very different needs. You know, Harvard can go and buy, you know, timber and hold it for a very long time, which is one of their you know key strategies for a while. I think we should be more liquid. And if it comes down to we need to make clear to the city council the costs they are running up when they do not actually fund a lot of the outstanding costs related to our retirees, not just the pension funds.
0: Well, thank you very much. I think it's time, as I heard the beep, to move on to our lightning round right or no answers unless i ask for something slightly different but quick answers please um do you support requiring mandatory deposits into a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting withdrawals from that fund only to times of recessions or severe emergency
6: yes as long as albany doesn't rate it yes
0: should the city significantly increase the size of its retiree health benefits trust to address the outstanding billion other post-employment benefit liability?
6: Yes, that's a major hole that the city council must become aware of so they understand exactly what the problem is. Our retirees need to know that the benefits that they have promised will be there, and there is risk of that right now.
0: Is there any circumstances that should require the New York State Financial Control Board be empowered to approve city fiscal acts?
6: uh, well, there's already, there's already a law in place, right, that, that determines what those reasons would be, if we're going to miss a, a debt payment, if our, our, our debt levels approach a certain level. And those are all put in place in a very thoughtful way back during the, the 70s and the, the Mac Corporation. And I agree with those.
0: On a scale of one being not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting principles?
6: A four. If I were an accountant, I would say a five, but I'm not an accountant. I have served on an audit committee and I am deeply familiar with accounting, but I give it a four.
0: Do you have a city fiscal or public accountability hero that you want to name?
6: Uh, (laughs) Dick Ravitch.
0: I'm sure, I hope he's watching and I'm sure he's happy to say that. And um, for our last question, we'd love you to choose your own topic from New York City music, food or sports.
6: The arts. I am the president of the board of the Ballet Hispanico, 50 years old on West 89th Street. I love the arts. I love Lincoln Center. I cannot wait for the arts to come back. It's an economic engine of New York.
0: You're going music, I assume. Uh, Yes. I'm (laughs) I'm sure there are are chefs and athletes who consider what they do as part of the arts, but I Uh, think you're saying music. So what is your favorite 1970s New York City music genre? Disco, punk or hip hop? Disco. (laughs) Disco, two for disco so far tonight. Well, thank you, Michelle Caruso-Cabrera. Thanks for being with us today. It's a
6: real pleasure, Andrew. Thank you so much, and thanks to everyone on the Citizens Budget Commission. Well,
0: thank you all very much. Please um, stay tuned
6: for our next candidate,
0: Corey Johnson. Okay, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Good to be here. You're looking well. Thank you, you too. I look forward to spending our time delving into how you plan to use the powers of the office to serve the people of New York. I'm first going to ask a general question, and we'll have three minutes to answer that about priorities. Then around eight minutes for our Q&A (laughs) follow-up and a two-minute, very exciting lightning round. Okay. Does that sound okay? Yep, great. Ready to dive in? Yes. Fantastic. So to begin, please succinctly describe the role of the controller your top three priorities, and how you would use the powers of the office to f- achieve those
2: priorities. Sure. Again, thank you for having me uh, this afternoon, evening. Uh, as Andrew said, I'm Corey Johnson. I'm running to be New York City's next controller. Before I get to the exact question Andrew just asked, let me just share a little bit about my story and why I'm running. As a poor kid growing up in public housing, I never thought that one day I'd be able to be of service to others. I moved to New York City city at 19 years old, with two bags and not much to my name, and uh, I ended up getting involved as an organizer for tenants rights, and on behalf of New Yorkers like myself, people living with HIV and AIDS, I was appointed to my local community board, and I worked my way up the ranks. And a few years later, I was elected to the city council. And for the almost last four years, I've been speaker of the council. And now I'm running to be New York City's next controller with one goal in mind, to better the lives of New Yorkers and to help our city recover. Being New York's chief fiscal officer comes with significant power, auditing city agencies, protecting our pension funds, settling claims uh, against the city and so much more. But it isn't just about dollars and cents. It's about helping our city rebuild and recover. Our audit, uh, uh, an audit isn't just about the items in the $98 billion budget, it's about making sure that city government is working for people who need it the most. Protecting public pension funds isn't just about managing the $251 billion in assets, it's about making sure hardworking New Yorkers can retire with dignity and settling claims with the city isn't just an administrative function, it's about bringing closure and proper compensation to victims and families. If I'm elected, I'd be guided by a motto that my mom taught me, the motto I've held on to throughout my entire time in public service, do the most good for the people who need it the most. And as controller, that approach would be my North Star. Thanks to President Biden and our leaders in Congress, specifically Majority Leader Schumer, New York City will be getting $5.9 billion in emergency aid, plus additional money for schools, vaccines, FEMA reimbursement money, and that should help. But it's up to the leaders of our city government, in particular, the next controller, to make sure we get our recovery done right. That's exactly what I'll do. I'll make sure that every dollar we get for COVID relief is targeted directly to our recovery and the New Yorkers who need it most, creating a recovery and rebuilding unit within the Comptroller's Office. I'll be a watchdog over all 145 city agencies and our city's $98 billion budget. I will use every tool of the office to get transparency and accountability for New Yorkers, including annual audits of some of the biggest city agencies like DOE, HPD, DHS, and the NYPD. I'll be an advocate for our recovery, committed to investing in local housing, minority and women-owned businesses in our communities, and I'll create a CLIMB fund, a new initiative in the Comptroller's Office that would provide low-interest loans to minority-owned businesses. So there's more I want to say, but I don't want to take up uh, too much time. I just want to say, to put it simply, as New York City's Chief Financial Officer, I will use the powers and duties of the Comptroller's Office to improve the lives of New Yorkers. Because I love the city so much, we're the greatest city in the world. And I'm grateful to be here this evening with you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, thank you, um, Speaker Johnson. Um, let's d- delve into those powers of the office. Let's let's pick aud- audits first, if, if we can. You know, audits, you know, every controller comes in, wants to be more programmatic, wants to have their audits have impact. You know, you've talked about restructuring and focusing on the services that affect most New Yorkers most dearly. Um, Pick a, could you give us an example of one or two audits? What are your objectives? What are the metrics you'd use? How would you actually structure that? It's not just a concept. It's 170 people doing this job.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, I think it's important to say that when you specify an audit, it's important to not go in trying to get an end result before the audit is done. I mean, it's supposed to be an objective audit. You you really wanna go where the facts take you. So uh, when we talk about audits, I think one really important thing is to think about performance-based budgeting. You know, when you're going in there and you're auditing a large city agency, let's take uh, DHS, the Department of Homeless Services, For an example, I think the public, I mean, people that are uh, involved with CBC know this, but the public may not understand, you're not auditing the entire city agency all at once. You're picking a specified area. So uh, on DHS, I think you need to go in and you need to do some uh, comparison audits. What programs are working to place people in long-term affordable housing and supportive housing? And is that the best use of the dollars Compared to some of the other money that we're throwing at certain programs. So, you need to kind of use a performance based uh, metric. And then, separately, I think we need to uh, make sure that there's real accountability and transparency. You know, the council, of course, tries to do this as it relates to our annual budget process, but I think the council, uh, you know, doesn't have audit power, we have subpoena power. Uh, And so, you know, the controller has subpoena power, the controller has audit power, and the goal is to provide that information to the council and to the next mayor so that when they're making budgetary decisions, they're hopefully putting money into programs that are working and taking money away from programs that aren't working.
0: Thank you, that was very good. Can I, you know, I'm a sucker for a good acronym. So let's talk about ACEs for a second. Sure. Um, You talk about a database of audits, claims, um, efficacy and settlements. How would you describe this quickly and how would you use it?
2: Yeah, I mean, right now, things are a little bit scattered. You have different divisions inside the Comptroller's Office that are kind of working separately. And that's good in many ways because you want to make sure there is a level of independence. And you have a professional staff inside the Comptroller's Office, many of whom have been there a very long time who know the processes inside and out. But I think it's important to take some of these functions, this is what ACES goes to, and to make sure people are working together that when you are looking at audits, that when you are looking at claims, that you are making sure that the information that you are taking in on audits that that is informing the claim process, you know, controller stringer put forward something called claim stat, uh, controller Lou puts forward something called checkbook nyc. We want to make sure that these things are actually operating in sync in some ways, and so that's what This program that I put forward as part of my policy agenda would seek to do to make sure they still have their independence, the professional staff are still doing their work, but some of the work that each one of these divisions are doing actually can help the other divisions in finding out what are the best ways to look at auditing city agencies, what are the claims that are being filed against the city, how does that inform the audits that we're putting forward in the recommendations that we're making to the council, which the Comptroller does at the preliminary and executive budget, the Comptroller does that at the joint hearing of the Assembly Ways and Means and Senate Finance Committee, you want want a system that kind of melds it all together uh, so that you can come forward and say, here's what we're seeing when we look at it in totality
0: understood thank you very much i'm gonna since you mentioned another
2: acronym climb
0: we'll switch to management of pensions and if i get this right capital lending and investment for minority-owned businesses to provide low-cost financing yes now of course from a lende's point of view low-cost financing is good because it's cheaper from a lender point of view you get lower returns so as a as a fiduciary as one of the um managers and advisors on the pension funds how do you balance that? Because then you're talking about lower returns might have a social and an economic good, but your lower returns mean a bigger hit on the city's operating budget. How do sure. you balance I mean, those trade-offs?
2: Yeah, I mean, the current assumed annual rate of return is 7%. And that seems appropriate to me right now, given the national economic trends that we're seeing. That 7% assumed annual rate is a little bit below the national average, which is, you know, 7.18%. And so... Uh, I think when we're looking at the investments that are being made, let's be clear, again, I, I know CBC knows this if members of the public are watching, you know the city controller is not uh, doesn't control the investments that are being made. The state controller is the sole trustee to the state pension funds. The city controller uh, is the trustee to four of the five funds. You're not a trustee to Burs, the Board of Education Retirement System. And so the, the Bureau of Asset Management inside the controller's office, is really advising the five funds, providing them information, and they all have separate strategies. I mean, the teacher retirement system moved away from hedge funds a long time ago. Some of the other funds still use it. One good thing that the the current controller did was he created the common investment meeting where all five of the funds come and sit together on a monthly basis to share information. I think we have to look at number one, we're going to be paying out out of the general fund more than $10 billion to cover our pension needs, Uh, we're spending almost $800 million in investment fees that are being used for outside investment managers. We should look at, you know, would common index funds actually get a similar return on investment uh, than some of the outside investment funds we're using right now? You'd cut down on the fees and you actually may get a better return uh, than the annual expected return. So I think those are some of the things we need to think of. And then lastly, we maybe should think about a co-investment strategy where you bring people in-house to the controller's office and you use them in a way that's not being used right now instead of relying solely on outside investment managers.
0: Well, thank you very much. Um, I think it's probably time before we go down uh, other areas to move to our very exciting lightning round, if we may. Quick okay. answer is yes or no. Okay. Uh, you ready to go? Yes. Do you support requiring mandatory deposits into a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting withdrawals from that fund only to times of recessions or severe emergency?
2: Yes, and there's gonna be a deposit in this upcoming budget. And in 2018 and 2019, I pushed the mayor and the council to put money aside in reserves, yes. Um, Do you have a target reserve amount that, um, after a healthy recovery, the city should have? What what kind of what should be in that rainy day fund in dollars? I mean, I think it should be ten percent of the city's budget, or maybe even a little more than that. If the the budget's ninety-eight billion billion, billion range now. Yeah, if if the budget's ninety-eight million dollars, we should have about ten million dollars set aside in reserves. Understood. Should the city significantly also increase the size of its retiree health
0: benefits trust to address the outstanding one hundred nine billion dollar other post employment benefit liability?
2: Absolutely, we need to. Be, that that's covering the the cost for retirees. We need to put money aside. Yes. Is there any circumstance that should require the New York
0: State Financial Control
2: Board be empowered to approve city fiscal a- actions? Well, we were almost in that position uh, last year. Um, you know, I'm sure there would be a circumstance, but I I I don't feel comfortable. Uh, mostly with Albany coming in and taking over the city's budget. I'm a little bit scared of that, which is why if we budget properly and plan properly, that shouldn't happen. On a scale of from one being
0: not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting principles?
2: Yeah, gap. Uh, I would say a four. I'm not an accountant, but I know, you know, there are 10 pretty common principles in there and uh, accountants use them. It's an important thing. I know that uh, Dick Ravage pushed for uh, Gap being needed to be used at the MTA and other places. So, yes, I would say a four. Okay. And for our last question, you get to choose from New York City music,
0: food, or sports. Oh, I would say music. Music. What is your favorite 1970s New York City music genre, disco,
2: punk, or hip-hop? Disco, baby. Di- Donna Summers, Diana Ross. I can get down and boogie to Diana Ross's The Boss. Okay.
0: We, we got, even got a song to go with the genre, with the artist. Thank you very much, uh, Corey Johnson. I really, really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to everyone with CBC. Thanks for all you're doing. And all, please stand by for our next last candidate, David Weprin. Fantastic. It's great, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Andrew. It's great to see you. I noticed the color coding of your books. We can talk about that another time, but it looks beautiful.
7: Um, thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, so I look forward to spending a few minutes with you. Um, it, it, it's, the, it's the red books on the next shelf, but thank you. Um, I look forward That's to helping right. it on. to how you plan to use the powers of the office um, to serve the people of New York. I'll first ask a general question. We'll have around three minutes, then um, follow up sure. Q&A for around eight minutes and then a two minute lightning round. Is that okay? Sure, no problem. In? I'm ready. Okay, so could you please succinctly describe the role of controller, your top three priorities, and how you will use the powers of the office to achieve those priorities?
7: Yeah, I mean, the controller has a lot of different roles, uh, as you probably know, uh, as as well as uh, better than most people. Uh, of course, you have the debt issuance function, uh, which is something that... Uh, I did on Wall Street uh, for over 20 years. You know, uh, floating municipal bonds uh, for infrastructure projects, for, uh, you know, health for hospitals, for schools, uh, for, for major, uh, you know, municipal bonds, uh, both uh, tax exempt and taxable. Uh, various, New York City is probably one of the most sophisticated issuers, as you know, uh, get involved in uh, variable rate debt and, and other, uh, you know, hedge uh, positions. Uh, so uh, it's an important function because you have to be constantly uh, refunding uh, existing bond issues and, and that's uh, savings that uh, the city really needs, especially uh, during tough fiscal times. Uh, of course, you have the check on the mayor's agencies, uh, the audit function, a uh, very important function. Uh, the, charter, the city charter only requires you to audit uh, every, some aspect of every city agency once every four years. Uh, that's certainly not frequent enough. I would look to audit uh, every city agency uh, every year. Uh, you, you also um, you know, have the Prevailing Wage Division where you have to uh, enforce the prevailing wage laws uh, on public contracts. Uh, you have um, you know, contracts with the city uh, and, and registering those uh, contracts. Uh, I'm probably gonna leave something out, but uh, you, you have uh, you know, so many uh, different areas in one office. Uh, you have about 800 employees. Uh, one of the things I've been saying everywhere uh, is I'd like to open up satellite offices in every borough. Uh, We're a five borough city. I want to be a five borough controller's office. Uh, and I want to use those satellite offices in the boroughs uh, to be liaisons uh, with the boroughs, but be more than that, uh, really help small businesses uh, and help uh, minority women-owned businesses recover from the pandemic. Uh, we, we've, of course, got a, a large infusion uh, of money from Washington this year. It kind of aligned together with the Democrats in the Senate uh, and, uh, and the new president uh, and uh, his agencies. Of course, uh, that's only good for one year. Uh, we got probably uh, the equivalent of uh, five or six billion dollars uh, that we can use. Uh, and uh, that's not going to be there for the next three, four, or five years afterwards. And we are anticipating multi billion dollar deficits in the out year. So uh, it's important. Uh, role as chief financial officer uh, to be involved in the uh, certification of the budget, uh, you know, making changes uh, and suggestions. But uh, there, there's a lot of roles uh, in the controller's office, uh, and I I think my background uh, is uniquely qualified uh, f- for that. Uh, you know, as you pr- probably know, uh, I have extensive uh, private sector background, uh, being in municipal finance uh, for over 20 years, in and out uh, with different firms. Uh, been with six firms: uh, DLJ, Kidder yeah. Peabody, Payne so, Weber, Advest, so Sir, Stern AG, and Stern uh, Stern AG
0: and and Stern AG. Yeah, well, no, and Stern, I, I, you're, bring, you're bringing it back. I I appreciate it very much. Let's um, delve into some some of these functions. Um, and I, I know after that, you, I, I testified in front of you in the City Council. So you've you've held a number of roles uh, over the time. I chaired I chaired
7: new? the Finance Committee of the City Council for eight years.
0: So could you please give us your assessment of the city's long-run fiscal health and what tools you would use as controller to improve the city's structural balance?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're we're in trouble, frankly. Uh, This is probably uh, the worst uh, fiscal crisis uh, that the city of New York has ever faced. I think it's worse than the 75 fiscal crisis, the uh, post-9-11 fiscal crisis, the 2008 recession altogether. Uh, Had we not uh, gotten that aid from Washington? I don't know what uh, we would have done this year, and uh, but I, I think you have to look at it long term. You can't just say, "Oh, we got this, uh, you know, bailout from Washington. We're in good shape now." Uh, I think uh, you really have to think long term. Certainly over the next four, five, six years, I think you have to uh, you have to plan. So, uh, what you are know, the tools uh, as There's a lot are can be done. If you were a controller today, what would you? How would you use your office to? Um,
0: um, push the city to manage its long-run finances better? What specifically would you do?
7: Well, you know, certainly, um, you know, when it comes to the budget, uh, you know, there are, um, you know, ways to, uh, to set aside money and, and to uh, survey every city agency uh, as to where they can uh, have cuts on a regular basis, whether you decide to eventually uh, cut in any of the agencies or not, uh, but there should be a plan to close the gap. Uh, as we had uh, during my eight years uh, as chair of the finance committee. Uh, I think that, that that's, uh, was, was, a, was a major program. We didn't always use it, uh, but we had it there. Uh, we actually created uh, the first uh, health care trust fund. Uh, when I was chair of the finance committee, I was involved in that. Uh, we set aside, uh, you know, um, eventually about $2.5 billion uh, to cover retirees' uh, health care trust fund, uh, healthcare trust costs over the years and uh, to have the money there for the retirees. Uh, And again, uh, I came in uh, under two fiscal crises. I came in uh, post 9-11, but then I also chaired the finance committee uh, during the 2008 recession, which was also uh, a major crisis. And I'm happy to say that when I left uh, the end of of, uh, 2009, uh, we had a surplus again.
0: Thank you um, very much. Now, you mentioned one of your priorities is to audit every city agency every year. Now the requirement is some function of every city agency once every four years. Are you talking about um, doubling the size of the audit staff or, or tripling to do that? Or are you talking about not doing certain audits and focusing on other audits? Could you delve into that a little more?
7: Pot- potentially, potentially increasing the audit staff uh, as we go, if it, if it looks like it's necessary, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to, uh, to to make that a priority because there's a lot of savings. The other thing that hasn't been done effectively uh, is auditing some of these outside contracts. And the outside contracting the budget of the city of New York started exploding under Mayor Bloomberg when I was there, uh, but it, it's, it's actually uh, exploded even more uh, under uh, Mayor de Blasio. And the outside contracting budget of the city, the current budget uh, last year was 92 billion. Uh, now it's gonna be 98 billion uh, you know, this coming uh, fiscal year. And about almost 20% of that uh, are outside contracts. Uh, the Department of Ed is probably the largest uh, last year. It was an $8 billion outside contracting budget. Uh, a lot of uh, you know that could be trimmed. Uh, there's a lot of waste uh, in some of those contracts. I would certainly be looking at some of those outside contracts. Uh, in the case of uh, homeless shelters, uh, there was that one large contract uh, that wasn't audited as far as I know by the controller, and I'm talking about the Bronx uh, uh, Parent Housing Network uh, by uh, Victor Rivera who was uh, exposed in a New York Times expose, a two-day expose, where they found a lot of corruption, a lot of insider uh, dealings, uh, a lot of mixing and commingling of for-profits and not-for-profits, so on, uh, on, you know, uh, a quarter of a billion-dollar contract, and uh, at the same time, uh, there were uh, allegations of sexual abuse, uh, you know, by women in the shelter, and I think that's still being investigated and potentially being prosecuted. But a lot of that could have come out in a routine audit, had some of the largest contracts, outside contracts uh, been, been sufficiently audited uh, through the controller's office.
0: And you've talked about, and I've heard you talk about those audits and also how much we contract out, maybe some should be brought in house. Are you saying that like what functions and are you including some of the functions now provided by nonprofit providers or what would be brought in house?
7: Yeah, potentially, Uh, you know, there's another problem uh, with nonprofit. We, uh, and it was a problem when I was chair of the finance committee, uh, and it's even a bigger problem now, is that a lot of not-for-profits who are uh, doing services that the city is really, should be doing in some cases, uh, often uh, can't afford to lay out the money. And in some cases, they're not getting reimbursed uh, for up to a year, uh, which is really outrageous. I mean, there's no reason why we can't streamline the process and have every vendor uh, who's contracting with the city of New York uh, paid within 30 days. Uh, and what, it, what as controller, what
0: would you do about that? Because it's obviously an executive function on mon- monitoring, and managing the contracts, not necessarily cutting the checks. What would you, what could you do as controller? Well,
7: streamline Just, you know, the process. You know, have uh, dedicated personnel uh, to expediting. Find out what's the issue. Why there's a reason people shouldn't get paid. I can't tell you how many not-for-profit providers. Uh, have told me when I was chair of the finance committee, and I've heard it uh, since then, uh, that they'd rather not accept uh, city money, even though they think they do a good job, uh, because they can't afford it. They can't afford to, to lay it out. And, and that's not, not productive for the city, and it's not productive uh, for them. So uh, I think something uh, major has to be done uh, in that area.
0: And let's go back to your borough offices. This is an interesting idea I hadn't heard before, but I'm trying to understand exactly what The services the controller provides to small businesses. Are there services that um, are provided now that you think should be decentralized? Or are you saying there's a new suite of services that the controller should provide that the mayor's office doesn't already do?
7: Well, there's a whole new uh, amount of services that um, people should be accessing uh, because of uh, COVID-19, because of the pandemic. Uh, because we're getting all this federal stimulus money and, and state uh, stimulus money. There are so many additional programs that didn't exist uh, last year and will exist over the next uh, three, four, five years. Uh, and those offices could be used to uh, help small businesses and uh, help uh, you know, MWBE businesses uh, trying to access uh, some of that money and, and streamline some of it. So as chief financial officer of the city, I think that's a legitimate function for the controller to get involved in. So I would hope uh, that those borough offices would serve that function. Of course, um, every controller uh, in recent history has had liaisons with all sorts of ethnic communities and uh, holiday celebrations and what have you. Uh, A lot of that could also be done, uh, be serviced out of the borough offices because that's already being done uh, out of, uh, you know, uh, one center street out of the municipal building. Uh, Some of that could be transferred over uh, to some of the borough offices, which are involved, uh, you know, in in communities uh, which have more of a, of an ethnic base, and uh, and and a lot of that could be used through that as well.
0: Understood. Understood. Thank you very much. Right, Let's understood. move, to, if we may, to our lightning round, quick yes or no type of uh, answers, if if you would, please. Um, first, do you support requiring mandatory deposits into a rainy day fund when the economy is growing and limiting those? limiting withdrawals from that fund only to times of recessions and severe emergencies? Yes. Should the city significantly increase the size of its retiree health benefits trust fund to address the outstanding $109 billion other post-employment benefit liability?
7: I think it's important to set it aside. We we did that when I was chair of the finance committee uh, under Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, That was the first time it was actually done. Uh, and i certainly would uh, would look to uh, continue that and uh and, and potentially expand on it yes is
0: there any circumstance that should require the new york state financial control board to be empowered to approve city fiscal actions
7: well i would try to avoid it uh you know uh, certainly in 75 uh, that's what happened uh, when it was created uh the emergency financial it should be still be there i think uh, as a tool uh when necessary but i think it's uh it's important to uh, to avoid that
0: on a scale from one being not very familiar to five being extremely familiar, how would you rate yourself on familiarity with generally accepted accounting principles?
7: I would say four or five. You know, it's uh, something I've uh, gotten to know. I, I'm not a CPA, uh, but uh, I am an attorney and uh, have been an investment banker uh, for 25 years. So uh, it could be a five, but I'll I'll say will say a I'll say a four four and a half.
0: And for the last question, please choose your own topic from New York City music, food, or sports. Pick one of those, music, food, or sports. Music. Music, what is your favorite 1970s New York City music genre, disco, punk, or hip hop? Uh, I would say disco. Okay. Well, thank you very,
7: very much, uh, David Weprin. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, let me just point out, I was the Citizen Budget uh, Commission trustee. Uh, for at least 15 years, maybe longer. Well, thank you
0: very much, and thank you for your service, and um, have a great evening. Thank you. You too. So that wraps up, we'll wait for a moment. There you go. Well, that wraps up CBC's Controller Candidate Forum. We hope you found it informative and helpful in making your decision when you go to vote, and please continue to learn more about tonight's participants and, as I said, the other candidates for controllers. And certainly, please tell two friends, speaking of the 70s, please tell two friends and they can tell two friends because it really is a critical job and we need more people to be invested in this race and make informed choices. Now to learn more about the city's finances and about other issues like NYCHA, health and hospitals, MTA, state budget and more, please go to cbcny.org. I wanna thank all the candidates for participating and their staffs for helping out. Thank all of you for joining. Thanks to all the press who do so much to inform the public thank our CBC trustees for supporting us in this and all of our work. And we want to especially thank all of our staff who've helped prepare, and especially Kevin, Sam, Natalie, Heather, and Anna. And for all of you, have a great week.